All right, all right. You guys can have a seat. I'm glad you're making new friends. Isn't that nice? I hope you answered the question. If you didn't, you can ask afterwards. It's what's something that just like pulls on your, your heartstrings, just like tugs inexplicably. A very sweet question. Um, if you're like, wow, I was here last week. I wasn't expecting to see you on stage again. Um, I wasn't expecting to be here either. <laughs> um, our, our dear Brian Williams is actually sick tonight. Um, so I have the great privilege of getting to do like a super sermon where I got to take his beginnings and then kind of finish it off. So if there's anything you don't like, that's from Brian Williams. And if you like the rest, that's for me. But no, I'm just kidding. I, I'm really excited to be with you guys. Um, I get to continue on in our 2030 series and kind of talk about what we're going to value as a church for the next eight years. Because there's a lot in scripture that we can really look into and hone in on. But this kind of next chapter, I think, is kind of of the utmost importance. And it's this. We're going to look at how we get to dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion. And I think this word compassion gets thrown around a lot. But coming from last week, where I got to talk about how we're going to deliberately elevate our love for the word of God, I feel like this ties in really well. And we'll see why. So we're kind of moving from that, the word of God, to Christ-like compassion. And then in the future, we're going to talk about what we're going to do to empower the next generation, which if you don't know, that's you. So buckle up. It's going to be good. But here's the deal. We live in a world where the physical and spiritual needs of our community and our nation are on display in a dramatic and powerful way. And we know this because you can go onto social media, you can go into network news if you still watch that, Twitter if you have that, um, or just listen to sad girl music. Like, you know there's something wrong with the world. Shout out to our girl, Olivia. Um, <laughs> Cause like, she's right. Like we make fun of this, like that in my generation, it was like Paramore. Um, but like, it's, as she says, like it's brutal out here in the world, right? Because thank you, Lauren. Um, <laughs> because the suffering and brokenness of this world is on full display for everyone to see. And, and media and the news just makes that just elevated, right? And that in itself can actually become a cycle and a pattern where we see sadness and then we start to experience sadness. We start to consume broken examples, whether it's family, media, in the workplace, and then we get to experience brokenness. We start to meditate on hopeless things and then hopelessness and fear actually begins to sink into our own hearts. Because without bona fide sources of healing and wholeness, we see how people continue in these cycles of brokenness, right? Um, she's gonna hate this, but my little sister is here tonight and she's a therapist. Shout out to Jenna um, and shout out to therapy. If anyone's in therapy, I'm very pro therapy. Um, but you know this, if you've been in therapy or you're in that profession, anyone can tell you when we ignore our own suffering or the suffering of others, we start to stuff it. If we start to minimize it, if we start to other it, especially in other people or trivialize it, um, it only leads to more suffering. Like, we can't simply ignore these things. We can't just stuff down things like trauma or suffering and brokenness and just expect them to go away, right? In scripture, that's like kind of called like a generational curse. It's things that we carry on into our lives because you see the physical and spiritual needs of humanity are out for display. And we have to ask ourselves as the church, one, are we paying attention? Like, are we paying attention? Like, really, we don't just like see something and move on? And then secondly, like, are we doing anything about it? Both in ourselves and in the world around us. Because you see, we as the church, especially the evangelical church in the West, um, we haven't always done an awesome job of being compassionate. 
right? Like throughout her church history. And we're going to see that actually going all the way back to Acts. Um, because as the people of God, it's actually really easy to get into these holy huddles and not want to get messy, right? Or sometimes worse, we don't want to display our mess in order to be seen or to be healed. And that just perpetuates more hurt. So these are all reasons why we, as Jesus's church, are, st- are called to step up to the plate to dramatically escalate our Christ-like compassion. Because you see, compassion is the ability to actually suffer with, with. That's what the word compassion means, to suffer with. Suffer with people. What this doesn't mean is to pity them or to other them. But it, and it doesn't mean sacrificing your own convictions. But it does re- mean restoring dignity and hope in the dark places of the world, just as Christ came to do. So we as the people of God are called to display this for a broken world and the realities and virtues of God's kingdom, the hope that lies there. So our desire as a church here specifically at Calvary Community Church for the next eight years is to dramatically escalate this Christ-like compassion. And there's organizational things we're going to do and corporate things we can do, but really the heartbeat of this is that for each and every member of our church, whether you're 98 or 8 years old, is we want people with their whole life to be personally drawn to the love of God, to be consumed by him, to know who the Father is, and to be enraptured by him. For this to become a reality of our church now into 2030, we have to first recognize this. It's that God is moved by your suffering. He's moved to action on your behalf. Whether you know the Lord or not, he's moved by suffering. And likewise, God has given a vision contingent on each of us being deeply moved by the suffering of the world. To not have our eyes closed to it, to not be paralyzed by how much of it there is, because there's a lot, but move to action that actually reveals the love of Christ in the world. So let's start by going back to the word of God and see what we find there, okay? We're going to open to Acts chapter 6 and look at verses 1 through 7. It's going to meet you there in the first verse. But before that, I just want to give you a little bit overview of what's going on. So here's what's happening. So this is the book of Acts. This is the story of the church really getting birthed into the world. So this is after Christ has lived a perfect life in order to show us who God the Father is, where he goes to the cross and dies, is buried, and is resurrected on the third day. So he has already ascended. And this is kind of the start of the early church where he leaves behind his apostles and the Holy Spirit comes and he said, you will do greater things than I did. Like go, the great commission, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and do all that I've commanded them, teaching them all I've commanded. So this is what's happening and the church is growing. And sometimes we can look back in the book of Acts and be like, this is it. This is like quintessential church. Like they had it down. But here's the thing. If you've been a part of any growing organization or even like, let's be real, like a friend group that's growing, um, with growth comes complexity, right? This was a community built by the spirit of God on the life and teachings of Jesus to give an example of what the kingdom of God looks like. That's what church is for. It's not meant to be a holy huddle. It's meant to be a representation of the kingdom of God but it's full of broken people. And like try as they might to represent the kingdom of God, there has to be this correction and correction as they go. Because the kingdom of God is actually contrary to the world, which will tell you independence is the way to go. And the kingdom of God, this is where interdependence, a connectedness among the people is actually the accepted reality of life. And caring for the least, the last, and the lost is actually the normal. 
not because of self-righteousness or pride, like they're not trying to earn like brownie points, but because this call to compassion and a shared humanity. Because we believe that all people have inherent value. Being made in the image of God and his desires for humans is purpose and dignity. So it's also a kingdom of the word of God, a kingdom built on truth, where people are not left to suffer in pain and the consequences of self-deception or ignorance, but are rescued from that, redeemed from that because of this declaration of truth. So here we have the church, it's in Jerusalem, so this is in the ancient Near East, and it's built on the spirit of God and based on the teachings of the life of Jesus. But it declares a culture with conviction about the truths of the kingdom and how that, from that place, we can compassionately meet and care for the needs of the people around them. And one specific example we're going to see in this passage tonight is actually just meeting a really practical physical need. So this is the church meeting the needs of the widows in the area. Meaning they, like back in the day, I talked about this last week, like women didn't really have a lot of power, even though they had influence in some areas. But basically if your husband died, you were, you were out for yourself. And women were especially vulnerable in the ancient Near East. So if you've lost your husband and you don't have any family to take you in, like there's not many options for you. So the church comes in and says, we're going to feed the widows. We're going to protect them. But here's what's happened. In this growing community of the followers of Jesus, we see they start to have limitations. They start to have blind spots. And again, we think they had it right. But as they grew, problems arose. And it says this in Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So again, these are human beings. And we see that even human beings following Jesus start to treat other human beings as less than. Like, these are the Greek-speaking widows who are being overlooked and marginalized. And there's elements of like racial discrimination in this, actually. And that has no place in the family of God. So something has to be done about it because it's not faithful to the heart of God to discriminate in this way. So verse two tells us this. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Meaning they're like, okay, we know that these 12 apostles are like, we're called to teach and preach and church plant, but something has to be done. Like they're not saying that waiting on tables, meaning serving these widows is a lesser thing or a lesser thing than preaching. But they're like, we need to get some people on this because we're not gonna leave from this place until this is made right. So he says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So there's two things they want to do really well here. One, they want to communicate the message of God. So these people are going, okay, we're not going to give up on the message of God. We're not going to give, give up on declaring the convictions or the good news of Jesus. But two, they also want to have compassion and the care for the needs of the people, like practical physical needs. But the organism has outgrown the organization. So they recognize and have to utilize the very gifts of the people in front of them to better facilitate the ministry of the church. Verse five goes on, this proposal pleased the whole group. So they're like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. We should get seven people on this job. So they chose these guys. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Pretty normal name so far. And then Prochorus, Nysmore, Timon, Parmenus, and Nicholas from Antioch. Don't you love how you're like, how did some names stick around and some didn't, right? Like, you know a Nick, but like 
Parmius. Um, Anyways, they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid hands on them. So basically, like, back in the day, like, when you commissioned someone for a job, it was just really common for, like, the eldership or whoever's in charge, just lay hands, pray the Holy Spirit over them and say, all right, it's time for you to step into your new role. So that's what's happening there. But as we were talking about this, I was, like, talking to Brian Howard and Brian Williams, like, we know who Stephen is. Like, he's a pretty well-known martyr, especially if you come from, like, a more Orthodox church. You're like, oh, yeah, that guy. Um, He died for Jesus. But the rest of these names, like, you will never hear of again, like, in all of scripture, which is kind of wild and also really awesome because, like, if you think, like, this was important to put enough in the Bible. And, like, there's a lot of things that did not make it to the Bible. They lost, like, their recognition in history. But here's the thing, like, they didn't lose the recognition in eternity because they realized that their lives were not about them. So the glory and notoriety, like, it doesn't matter that it didn't go to them, right? And the other morning, like, it's cool reading this and being like, yeah, wow, we have no idea what happened to them. But this is cool because you're going to see actually the outcome of their lives in the next few verses. But the other morning, I was spending time with God, and it was like one of the first things that came to mind when I woke up. I just feel like the Spirit was saying a really, really simple statement, and it was this. It's that we get to enter God's story, not just invite him into ours. Because I think so often it's like, especially as a Christian, you're like, oh yeah, God, like, oh, there you are. Like, can you like be my counselor and like advise me occasionally on what to do? And I think we get that so wrong because if we believe that God is the Lord of the universe and he actually engenders life and purpose, then we actually step into the reality of what existence is because of him. And we get to surrender to his reality of the world, which includes how to be compassionate, how to spend our time, how to spend our money. And as one of my favorite artists sings, we realize actually from that place how rare and beautiful it is to exist. And let alone have a profound purpose of discovery of what to do with this existence. Because like, who really knows, right? We spend our whole lives figuring out how to live, how to live well. So what was the result, Jen is laughing at me already, it's fine. Um, So what was the result of these men entering into God's story? Verse seven tells us this. So the word of God was spread because these seven men were willing to step away from whatever they were doing previously and say yes to filling this need to something so simple, feeding the widows. It says this, the word of God was spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So these men are evidence for us that heavenly legacy is actually far greater than earthly legacy, right? Like eternity is fuller because they walked the earth and that that legacy is worth leaving. So what else can we learn from the mistakes and actually corrections of the early church? The first thing is this, structure provides growth. Structure provides growth. So kind of the metaphor that that Brian was going was with this. Um, It's like vines and a trellis. So the purpose of vines in a trellis is when you're actually trying to grow vines, they need something to attach to in order to keep growing. So if the church is the living organism that's growing and thriving because of the spirit of God and the people of God, then the organization is the trellis. And that's trying to meet the needs of the people and keep everything going, keep everything in order. But what happens when the vine outgrows the trellis? It stops growing. You have to build more trellis. You have to build more organization and structure and reroute. We can't just act as like, okay, we know how to do church and we're going to move on. Like we actually have to be aware of the needs in front of us and be willing to redirect. We can't just let tradition dictate everything we do, right? Because it can become unhealthy and unproductive. 
Because as the organism grows, we need more organization in some ways. All the type B people are like, uh, but that's why we have type A people. It's fine. We work together. Um, so the first thing, structure provides for growth. The second thing, conviction and compassion are actually Christ-like. And you can't have one without the other. You see, Jesus displayed a perfect life, a life lived in fullness of righteous conviction and gracious compassion. And they are not opposed. They're not opposed. And I would actually argue, again, that you cannot display proper compassion without conviction. That is more like the trellis and the vine than we realize, right? Like we can't have one without the other. Like conviction is the trellis that the vine of compassion grows on. And then we realize, like, we'll ask questions like this, like, why act like all people actually have dignity? Or that, like, life is sacred, like, we shouldn't murder people or whatever, you know? Or racism and poverty are evil. Like, why would we, if you don't have conviction behind that, like, why would you ever act compassionately? Or that greed can be dangerous. You see the affirmative of all these questions, that all people have dignity, that life is sacred, that racism and poverty are evil, that greed is dangerous. Just to name a few examples... These are convictions that are rooted in the reality and view of God's word and the world. And it leads us to actions of compassion that are actually not selfish or socially motivated. Because it's not always convenient to stop at look and look someone in the eyes who's other, right? And listen to them without an agenda. Like it's hard to actually go out of our way to like embrace people that come from like different backgrounds, whether it's socially or ethnically, like someone's story that's different than yours, that takes effort. It's not intrinsic to us. Just like it's not always popular to say that you care about like the full life of a human, cradle to grave. Like it's not always easy to check our own hearts for bias or advocate for the oppressed. It's not, and it definitely is countercultural to be truly generous with our resources. These aren't things that just flow naturally out of the human heart. So how do we be consistent in compassion? We have to understand if we have conviction behind those things. Because compassion without conviction can lead us to dangerous places when we don't know our why. Our why. At the very least, it will leave us in complacency. Like we care about some things, but we don't care about other things. And in the worst, it takes us out to sea where we abandon convictions to please not God, but people. See, Jesus was perfectly compassionate. See, he took on our ultimate suffering, right? But he didn't concede to the loudest or most outraged person in the room or allow people to walk further into their hurts because he was afraid to upset them. He's the God who stood with the woman who was caught in adultery. So this is a woman who was caught in adultery by the Pharisees, who were the religious elite at the time. And she was thrown before them, and they all came with stones in their hands ready to kill her because that was the punishment for that at the time. And they're walking up, and Jesus kneels before them, and he says, you who without sin can throw the first stone. So he puts himself and he advocates for this woman and he says, no, this is my daughter. If you're without sin, fine, go ahead. And guess what? They all drop their stones and they walk away. But he's the same God who looks to her and says, go and sin no more. That is truth with grace. See, that's compassion. Truth can only grow on the trellis of grace. We can't have one without the other. But even people with good intentions cannot bring the hope and healing into this world without God's vision for humanity. So what are we learning? Structure provides growth. Conviction and compassion are Christ-like. And thirdly, compassion means to suffer with. We said this before. There's something really unique about actually sitting and suffering with someone. See, if you stand outside someone's suffering and just look at them and you're like, get up, 
Or like, why don't you just smile? Like, come on, like you have so many things to be grateful for. I don't understand why this is difficult for you. Is anyone triggered yet? I love that one. Just smile, it's fine. You have a roof over your head. Those are things to be grateful for. But what if we did this instead? What if we actually like sat down in the puddle with them and said something like, you know what? Like, this is a really stupid puddle. It's wet and it's cold and I can see why you're upset. And how about I just sit with you here until we figure a way to get out? If I don't know how to help you, maybe I'll find someone who can. But I'm not gonna rush you from this place. Because many of us, especially in the church, we've like come to this point where we can't love someone until we first tell them our conviction about their life, right? We desire to like set them straight before we desire to set them free. But Jesus didn't do it that way. He stepped into our puddle first and then he rescued us. He says, while we were yet sinners, while we still hated God, Christ died for us. He came to earth and entered into the depths of human depravity. Like he entered into the ultimate puddle And then he did the work of liberating us out of our lies and our wayward deception. And then he said, I first loved you. This is the reality that we as a church hold, right? We hold the same convictions of Jesus, convictions that maybe would appall people. We hold firmly to biblical convictions about sexuality and gender and the sanctity of life. And I recognize that where we stand on greed and lust, like that's gonna ruffle some feathers. Yet when we say we want to decisively elevate our Christ-like compassion, we have to believe that it's not going to mean anything to those around us unless this. Those who disagree with our convictions will at least not be able to deny our compassion. Like to be in a place where like a transgender neighbor can safely enter this building and not be berated. Where the woman who just went through an abortion could be met with kindness and love here in our congregation where sexual orientation is not the first and only thing to define you, where those who can't keep up with like this Westlake aesthetic or this monetary value system are actually treated with respect and honor. See, why do this? Like why enter into the messier way? Because it's ultimately this. We believe that the holiness of our church will and should raise the curiosity of a watching world. But this isn't because like we're perfect, right? This actually starts with recognizing the humanity within ourselves, the unholiness in us. Because both the beauty of being created in God's image and chosen by God and loved by God so powerfully that he suffered and died for me comes with the understanding that he suffered and died because of me. That we can't look out into this world and be like, you know what, I'm here and you're here. And until you get here, then I'll pay attention. Because we have to recognize that both of these things, the beauty and the brokenness, is actually meant to help us acknowledge our humanity. And compassion comes from the humble place of recognizing that the shared humanity we have actually goes to every other person on this earth. That no matter who they are or how they live out their convictions or what their convictions are, how they differ from us, we choose compassion anyways. Because you see, you may not believe what another person believes, But don't you know what it is to suffer like someone else has suffered or fail like someone else has failed or be deceived like someone else has been deceived? There's these common threads of humanity we still hold on to. We also know that like Christ is ready to get down into their puddle, that person that you think is so other or just doesn't understand or doesn't get it. Like 
he's ready to get into their puddle. And we're invited to do the same because they might need help out of it. Because we're called to come alongside one another. No matter who they are, no matter what they've done, when we've embraced and experienced God's compassion and expressed his love shown to us, we should be compelled to this place of loving another person. Like he's given us the ultimate model of how to do it. And we're called to follow his example. So two last things to consider when we think about how to be compassionate. The first is this. I hope this brings relief to people. Different people have different callings and giftings. So the apostles say in this, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word, his calling, this commission that he's given the apostles to teach and preach and church plant in order to quote unquote, wait on tables. And again, this is not like comparing like different jobs, like, oh, this is like a CEO level position. And this is like blue collar. No, this is just like a different role. Some people are called to wait tables. Others are called to balance spreadsheets. God bless you. That's not my gift. Another to like physically bind a wound. Anyone in the medical care profession? Another is to declare the word of God. Another is to listen and pray. Like we all have these different gifts and you have a role to play when it comes to compassion and service. And it doesn't have to be everything like praise God, right? Like there's so many things to care about in the world. And sometimes people just don't do anything because they're like, where do I start? but there's a beauty in the body of Christ. You aren't expected to be everything and do everything, but you're built and called to do something. So pick something, so pick one. Annie Stanley said this, do for a few what you wish you could do for all. Like pick something and do it. Put your hand to the plow and keep moving. Start making tracks somewhere. You see here in our community, there's many ways you can serve. Like we have a whole care and outreach department. Tuesdays are like our outreach day. So like shout out, has anyone been to Fresh Market? Yeah, okay. It's like six of you, that's pretty good. There's also a food pantry. So Fresh Market, if you don't know, it's basically like a free farmer's market for like anyone who needs it. So if like you want to recommend someone to come through, they can become a guest. There's personal shoppers. It's awesome. We have a food pantry. You can pick up like dry goods. We have angel threads, which is almost like our own version of a thrift store where people can come in and have like a boutique experience and shop with like dignity and select the outfits they want. And it's, they're very nice things. We also work, um, right now we get to work with refugees over, coming over from Afghanistan. We partner with foster youth. Like if you're like, I'm not ready to be a foster parent, that's cool. I probably don't think you are either, but you can mentor foster youth. If you want to teach and lead, we have classes. We have small groups you can teach and lead in. If you have a musical talent, there's places where you can provide worship. You can like, there's middle school ministry, there's high school ministry, there's elementary, there's children's, there's special abilities. We have a prayer team we talked about earlier. If you want to be on hospitality here, there's so many ways to serve. One quick link I'll give you just because there's, there's a lot of different things. Please come talk to me afterwards if you're like, something caught my ear. Um, there's sheets on the prayer wall, but I'm just going to throw up, it's our calvarywestlake.org reach website. So this is our local and global missions. This is an easy place to start if you're like, actually, I want to serve with people who maybe are outsider community who like don't know the Lord. You're going to find that here in church just at a much lower rate. Praise the Lord. Um, but if you're like, I ever want to be challenged, I actually want to meet and be around people that maybe come from a different walk of life than me. This is a beautiful place to start. Challenge yourself. Open your phone right now. Put it in your tab. Say, I'm going to send them an email later today. But here's the thing. Kind of going back to like, you're not made to do everything. Don't worry. It's probably a good thing that you're not involved in all those things. But again, be involved in one of them. 
And if it's not here, if you're like, I'm just checking things out or like church really isn't my thing right now, like just find a place where you can enter into the world of others. You can participate in God's love for them and experience growth in your compassion for other human beings. Like identify your gifts. This is how we identify our gifts. We pick something, we start serving. We're like, that's actually not for me. Like I was not a kid's person for most of my life. And then my first job at Calvary was to work with elementary school students and middle school students. And it took me like three years to be like, maybe I'm a kid's person. But then we're like, do you want to work in YA? I was like, actually, yes, that's where my, that's where I'm going to serve. That's more where my heart is. But I grew so much through that time. Like now I see a child and I like know how to interact with it. It's amazing. Like I didn't have that. Um, you should have met me in college. Um, but like, that's how I identified my gifts. Like you also find out what you're like not naturally good at. Um, just start somewhere, shift around. Like it's a discernment process. Don't be discouraged if you're like, I am 29 and I haven't found it yet. Like Lord willing, you have a few more years to do that. So here's the deal. Different people have different callings and gifts. And then lastly, wisdom and the Holy Spirit are all that you need. Those are all of the qualifications you need. Like, do you know Jesus? great, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is all wisdom. There you go. That's it. So <laughs> the only qualification is to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. So part of us serving and living compassionately is actually to rely on the Spirit, to use the wisdom of God. Again, that's where the conviction part comes in. That's where last week as we talked about knowledge and devotion to the Word of God. Because compassion is not this. It's not mindlessly helping anyone or everyone but there is wisdom to it. So compassion actually has to be a kind of wise compassion. Cause like even here at Calvary, like we just don't throw our money at people and are like, all right, our work here is done. Here's some cash, figure it out. Like we provide for them strategically and we use the resources we have as wisely as we can. That's why we're always like, you can literally ask us where our money goes. Like we can send you to accounting because we want you to trust that we're relying on the spirit of God. We're not just like, this sounds like a good idea. That's not integrous and that's not spirit led because to be full of the spirit is to be driven by Christ. To be led by the spirit is to be surrendered to the Lord's will over our own. So the spirit of God often will leave us to serve with the fullness of his fruits. If you're like, I don't know if I'm doing it right. Like, is there love in your service? Is there joy? Is there peace? Is there patience? Is there kindness? Like, are you becoming a kinder person? Are you experiencing more self-control? Which by the way, you'll probably experience the opposite of those things for a little bit because that's how growth happens. Um, when you're like, wow, I'm having all these opportunities to be patient. Like, yeah, it's probably because you need to be more patient. Christ-centered compassion will employ all of these attributes not just some of them. So, okay, like, you're like, you've talked about this. What does this look like practically here at Calvary? I'm so glad you asked. So by 2030, this is what we see. Like, we actually have, like, practical goals that some of them are, like, super fleshed out, and we're like, we know exactly how this could happen. And there's other things where we actually have to go, Lord, like, we need you in this because we actually want to be people who dream in a way that it's doomed to fail unless God is in it. Because, like, would we be the church if we're just like, yeah, we're doing this by our own strength? Like, what, why need, then what's, who's God for? So here's some key outcomes and strategies we believe will be effective in helping us in realizing our goal. We believe that the vision he's planned for us is big, and it's bold, and it's risky, and we need him to accomplish it. We need actually to be the body who are focused on him, who are leaning on him in our community to see these works done through us. So by the year 2030, here are eight things we hope to accomplish. 
Again, right now, some of them are specific, really refined. Others of them were like, okay, Lord, show us where to go. The first is this. We want to launch the Caneo Valley Care Center to meet the needs of people. So what this looks like, this is what we're hoping to become, is actually a trusted resource for the whole Caneo Valley. And this looks like many things. This is meeting people's physical needs. This is meeting people's mental, emotional needs. We hope to be a place where people are struggling with addiction or mental health can come and receive services free of charge. We're hoping to meet people who are maybe houseless, looking for jobs, and even just like a computer to sit at, a place to wash their clothes. We want to be kind of this all-encompassing center where the church isn't just looked like as a, a, you know, a spiritual hospital, but we provide these physical, practical resources to meet the needs of those around us where, you know, if Calvary disappeared out of the community, people would actually be like, man, that place was helpful. That place was important, even if they're not there yet in accepting the Lord. The second thing is we want to partner in establishing 10 homes, 10 homes for various ministries. One of them is foster youth. We recognize, like we work with um, James Storehouse, if you're familiar, it's awesome. They work with kids in the foster care system. They actually have a home for those who are aging out. Because oftentimes, if you're in the foster system, a few things can happen, especially if you're young women, bless you. Um, and what is this? A lot of teen, the teen pregnancy rates are incredibly high. Secondly, wow, a lot of you just looked up at me, yeah. Secondly, it's really hard to transition out of foster care when you haven't had an emotionally stable environment. It's hard to get a job. It's hard to know where to live. Um, we'd love to have homes for this. We'd also love to have a home um, for adults with special abilities who are looking for a place to live where their families maybe can't take care of them anymore or they've aged out. We'd love to have a place for refugee families. We're seeing more and more of that in our community. And instead of just sending them to motels and hotels, we want to have established place. And then lastly, we want a place for trafficking victims. Like the largest slave trade today is human trafficking and most of it is sex trafficking and it's in our backyard. And we want to provide these safe homes for men and for women who are coming out of that system to be restored spiritually and physically so they can go on and live productive, healthy lives. Third is this. We want to actively engage in the lives of 100 foster kids. So again, I'm looking at you guys in the room and you're like, great, you're not ready to be foster parents. Maybe you are, that's awesome. Probably not, but you, again, you can mentor. Mentorship is so critical. Statistically, kids need at least like five stable adult mentors in their lives to like become emotionally healthy. And if you're in the foster care system and getting thrown around from home to home, like it's very rare that you have one. Um, so to have like a 20 something sit down, look you in the eyes, pray with you, tell you, you know, I can help you with your homework or what you're saying to me is important. That goes so far. So if you're interested in that, we want to get you connected. Again, you can find that on our website, but we want to reach at least 100 foster children over the next eight years. Fourthly, um, we would love to plant 1,000 churches in unreached places in the world. And if you're like, wow, that's really ambitious, there are a lot of unreached places in the world. We have partners um, in actually countries I can't name on stage, but we would love to continue to equip the pastors there, the people there, send our own people to these places so the hope of Christ can be known. And a church can be anywhere from like five to like 500 people. So we'd love to be a part of that church, planning a thousand churches. Fifthly, um, we'd love to minister to at least 10,000 at-risk kids locally and globally. Like Jesus speaks pretty strongly about what it means to protect children. Like he has like strong words for people who would harm a child. And oftentimes, especially in cultures outside the U.S. and even in the U.S., like children are like looked down on as like unimportant or at worst like property. 
Um, we want to be people who come and step in the gap and say, like, this child's life is important, that the Lord values them, that we're going to resource them or even pull them out of unsafe places. Um, so we want to be a part of that, both locally and globally. The numbers are going up, guys. Oh, I don't like math. Okay, it's 100,000. Also, he didn't put, sorry, this is, I should have put this in here. There are no commas in here. Um, so 100,000, <laughs> distribute 100,000 Bibles locally and globally. Um, so this isn't just like throwing King James Bibles at people. Like we would like to distribute Bibles in people's own languages and their context, like getting the word of God into the hands of people who may not have the word of God. Um, but again, we believe the word of God is alive and active, that it's powerful and that it's something to be lived out. So we want to make sure people have that as a, as a resource. Okay, one million. One million. We'd love to serve one million hours through the ministries just of our church. And this is one that sounds really ambitious. You're like, a million hours. Well, we have a lot of people that attend Calvary, but here's the deal. Right now, the metrics are kind of showing like, and this is great. On average, we have people that serve around four to 500 hours like a year which is amazing. That's amazing. So thank you. If you guys serve on the weekends or during the week, like that's incredible. But we know that so many people can come into a large church and leave without engaging like at all. Like I was talking to our care pastor and it's kind of like, like a food court at the mall where you come in and you can like choose what you want and then leave. Um, and we want to become more of like a family restaurant where we're serving each other. We're serving the community that people can actually be interacted with and have their giftings cultivated and grown over time. Um, so we're going to be dreaming of ways to get people connected. And we'd love for you guys to be a part of that. And then lastly, um, 10 million, we'd love to give away 10 million pounds of food to those in need over the next eight years. Like we don't want to be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly good, right? That we're just like, okay, one in day eternity, no one will be hungry. No one will struggle with mental health. It's like, no, Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. So we want to meet people's practical needs here and now presently. See, in this next song, we're going to sing about the simple truth that his kingdom is all about Jesus. And Jesus is all about love. That which serves the greatest good of the other. That's what love is. His kingdom is not complex, but it's also not easy. The ways and realities of a simple kingdom are not easy for humanity. But all praise and honor and glory will be given to him who is gracious and merciful to his people, to his church. That though we fail and we flounder as we try to be compassionate to others, he won't forsake us. No, he means to finish the work he has begun in us and around the world. And so let's get up and get to work. Let's accept his invitation to join in on his love for the world and worship him. <laughs> 